1: Welcome to this edition of Stockhead uh, Wildcatter Report. My name is Peter Strachan, and today we're delighted to be talking to uh, Chris Lewis, who's uh, joined the Ancilla Energy Board, uh, the new Ancilla, which is the renamed Pura Vida. So welcome to the uh, podcast, Chris.
0: Thank you, Peter. Thank you very much.
1: Chris, um, PureVid is changing its name to Ancilla, as I've said. Uh, the company is raising some money uh, to go in and look for conventional and unconventional oil and gas onshore Poland. Uh, obviously, high demand for energy in Europe and I'm just wondering, it seems a bit strange for Australian companies to be in that part of the world, although more are going in that direction and I'm wondering Chris, what's your background in uh, the oil and gas industry? How did you come through it? I know you're a a geoscientist um, and uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you've come to this opportunity?
0: Yeah, sure. Happy to, Peter. Thank you. Um, I mean, I've been in in the industry for about 27 years now. I uh, first joined with Conoco um, way, way back and worked the North Sea, uh, mostly northern North Sea, a little bit of southern North Sea. Um, And then, interestingly, came down to Australia. I lived in Perth for seven years worked Northwest Shelf, uh, Southeast Asia. And in the early 2000s, I went back to London. And that's really when I started working Central and Eastern Europe. I've lived in Ukraine for a year where I was um, working on bringing an old gas well back into production. I worked Romania for two years managing an exploration and production campaign there, and even managed a a seismic acquisition campaign in Poland. So I've worked in and around Central and Eastern Europe quite a lot in the last 10 to 15 years. Um, And also, starting off around about 2005, got more and more involved in the um, the small cap end of the industry in the UK, Um, had a couple of decent wins myself. started off uh, an oil company where we picked up a couple of gas fields in Romania, onshore, we moved that on. Um, I was VP exploration for a small company, we picked up a highly prospective block onshore Kenya, we farmed that out to Tullo uh, and then mm-hmm. sold the company yeah. to Africa Oil. So, you know, I've got I've got sort of two types of experience that I think are really appropriate for what we're doing. I, I know the the landscape in Central and Eastern Europe and kind of understand how the small cap space works. And so, you know, I think that's why we started looking in Central and Eastern Europe when when Pura Vida as they were and Silla now came and and we started discussing about getting some new projects for the company and, and finding a, a slightly different direction. That's fantastic. And you've brought with you a team. You've got uh, uh, Andrew and, uh, and Nathan. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, Nathan was originally um, part of the the Pura Vida executive board. Uh, Andy and I have known each other for 15 years. Andy and I started working together 15 years ago when I was um, the CEO of a a small oil and gas company. And we were looking at pulling together some private equity to start trying to buy up some of the um, the state oil company assets in Romania. Now, that never happened, but we've worked on a few things since. Um, Andy's a petroleum engineer by background. Um, but has spent many years working in the city on investment banking uh, and side, And so Andy brings a lot of um, financial knowledge to this as well as a strong technical base. So between the two of us as a, a London-based team, you know we make quite an effective, um, effective pair when it comes to looking for new assets, evaluating new assets, and then looking after somebody's interest and making sure really that, that things are done properly out in the field in Poland.
1: So you've been able then to vend this opportunity into Pura Vida. Is that the way it's it's worked? Well,
0: no. I mean, what happened was um, Andy Andy met, met Nathan um, twelve twelve months or so ago, um, and it was it was to do with one of Puravida's other legacy assets. The introduction came through their their Madagascar asset, um, but it was very clear to Andy and Nathan that it was a real opportunity for Puravida to do something different. I think we we're in a Still in a phase in in the expiration cycle where expiration is very difficult to fund, um, so it was really time to find something different for Puravida to do. Something required lower capex, something that was lower risk, something that had discovered hydrocarbons. And so Andy and I were were, were kind of mandated by Puravida to go out and find the next asset for them to take the company in a, in a new and different direction. And so that's how we we got involved in this. We were helping PuraVida find that project, helping them evaluate a number of different opportunities, get the right one and then get it over the line. And, and thankfully this one, you know, ticked all the boxes and we got it completed this week. Perfect.
1: And so you're going to spend... Uh, just over 6 million roughly Australian dollars to earn a 35% interest in these projects.
0: So who are the, who's the other, other partner there with a the 65? So th- this is the company who had the opportunity. It's a, it's a small company, private company, UK based company called Gemini Resources. Now, these these assets were originally held by uh, a name listed e company called San Leon, San Leon Energy. Um, they had a A fairly diverse, geographically diverse strategy. Um, 2014 came along, oil price crash came along. um, They had a a change in strategic direction and embarked on a a transaction where they reversed in uh, quite an interesting oil field in Nigeria. And that took them in a completely new direction. So they were going to really divest a lot of their non-core assets, this being one of them. Um, But the 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 team within San Leon who'd managed this asset, who'd been involved with it intimately, been on the ground in Poland, had shot the seismic and drilled the wells for them. They saw the value in this and they wanted to take it on. So they negotiated a, an agreement with San Leon. They took the assets. They formed Gemini Resources, and they they had a hundred percent. And they were looking for some way of funding the operations that that we've elected to fund to earn our thirty five percent.
1: Yep. So a lot, a lot uh, nicer working in Poland than in Nigeria. I would have thought. In any case, so good choice. Uh, I would <laughs> say so. Absolutely. <laughs>
0: so, yeah, yeah.
1: So they've dr- drilled these wells, and now your task is to go in and uh, evaluate them. To do, to have a look at the the Gora project, where there's a fairly large gas, uh, tight gas target, and you're planning to do some work uh, just in the upcoming quarter on some
0: sandstones at depth there. That that's that's right, Pete. So the um, the Gora license within the Gora license, there there was a well that was drilled by San Leon in 2011, 2012, by by the Gemini team when they were working for San Leon, um, and that's the CISNI Two well. And that well went down to a total depth of about three and a half kilometers. The bottom fifteen hundred meters of that well went through, you know, a l- large Carboniferous section. The bottom of that Carboniferous section from about 3,200 to 3,400 metres had a, a very clean, tight Carboniferous sandstone Um, Analysis suggests it's got about average gas saturations of 71%, gas shows all the way through it. And so what we're doing is we're going in there to try and get a a flow test of that sandstone, to really try and evaluate whether the resource attached to it is something that can be commercially developed. So these these are discovered resources in the ground. And the big question we're trying to answer with with the investment we're making is: can we develop them commercially and, and get them out of the ground and make money out of them? What sort of uh, porosity
1: uh, has been has a porosity been measured there?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's fairly tight. It's 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 averaging sort of around about four to six percent porosity. Yep. Um, they even managed to do what's called a mini frac, yep. which is a tiny, tiny frac, and that measured the permeabilities, and they're they're down in the micro Darcy's. Um, you know, that's, that's not scary. We've got a, a really good analog basin onshore, U, um, onshore U.S., which is the Pines River Basin. We've kind of benchmarked the reservoir properties. We've benchmarked what we see in terms of our forecasts for development wells. And it, it, it all looks very real and very doable. So we're, we're, we're happy with what we're seeing in terms of reservoir quality and properties. Is there any natural fracturing in the sandstones? We don't see any. Mm-hmm. We don't see any at the moment. No. I mean, it, 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 there may well be, but I, I just don't think we've gathered enough data to see that at this point in time. So all of our modelling is on the assumption there isn't any. If there is any, then that could certainly certainly improve the flow rates that we're predicting at the moment. Yeah,
1: and so, but sometimes the natural fractures can be a bit of a trap because they can uh, bring water into a to a frac as well. They,
0: they, they can, they can indeed, and I think I think you know one of the one of the real positives we've got with um, with the Sydney Too Well is we've got a two hundred meter gas column, so you know you can you can then start designing your program around mitigating any issues you've got with water. When you've got a nice thick column, basically you develop the top. You don't develop the bottom because if you frack the bottom, you suck the water into the yep. well bore. So I think, I think we've got enough section in there to mitigate any issues if we have got any kind of water issues through fracturing. But as I say, everything we see at the moment suggests we don't have any. But if we do, you know, I, I don't think it'd be in any way insurmountable.
1: And you, you've got enough information to understand uh, which way the stresses are going in that structure? So, which way the fracts are going to go?
0: Again, I I, I think we do. Um, You know, we're we're looking at some of the borehole breakout data. You've obviously got some sort of regional stress maps. Um, You know, we're probably going to refine that model. Go. Um, You know, this is this is the first first well in opening this play. So we've probably got quite a bit to learn in terms of that. Um, But you know, if we're looking at something that isn't naturally fractured. Then you know well bore orientation becomes slightly less important. currently yep. you know, if sure. we're dealing with natural fractures, then we really need to be super focused on understanding the stress regimes.
1: And how uh, locked in is this uh, three point nine million dollars of budget for the for the program?
0: Well, I mean, we just completed on Tuesday, but we've been fortunate that we've got a good relationship with the operator, obviously, and we've been sharing data all the way through the negotiations to to completion. Um, you know the final budget looks like it comes within that cap, so we should be able to get in the well. Um, you know, perforate, pump the frac, do the well test, all inside that three point nine million dollar um, cap. So you know, we're 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 good on that budget at the moment.
1: Excellent. And the the second main play is the Nawa Sol, which is a two C target of thirty six million barrels. I understand in a in a dolomite reservoir.
0: Yes, that's right. That's right. Um, I mean, it, it, it sounds odd to say it's quite similar to, to Sydney when it's oil in a dolomite rather than gas in a sandstone. But you, you've got a similar scenario where we've got a block that's had 2D on it, 3D on it, wells drilled by the previous operator, discovered hydrocarbons. And in the case of the Yarni well that we're going to go back into, even a small well test. So there was a, a very short duration well test. The, uh, the fractured dolomite flowed oil into the well bore. There was a, a, a short duration pressure buildup. So, again, we've got a lot of data. We know there's discovered hydrocarbons. You know, that 36 million barrels is a resource that sits in the ground. And, and the questions we're trying to answer really is same one. You know, can we develop this commercially? Can we get that 36 million barrels out of the ground and make money out of it?
1: how that's right um and when when you say there's no trap there, does that mean it's a basin centered type of uh situation
0: that's what we believe yep. yes um i mean it's it's interesting with this fractured dolomite because there are a number of small fields around um the the yarni well where this 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 reservoir does produce in small traps, but the yarni well, as far as we're aware at this point, has no structural sort of trap associated with it. And it it is full of oil. So if we can produce it, then yeah, it's a a basin-wide distributed oil resource. And so if we can prove commercial flow at Yarni, then obviously stepping out from there across the basin, you know, there's huge potential here. And so you've
1: done some sort of back of the envelope numbers, which says that uh, you'd be targeting something like 8 BCF ultimate recoverable for a a well in the... um, in the sandstones of gas, and yep. uh, and that's assuming a sixteen-stage frac, and you know the usual things we get in the United States with that type of technology, and uh, and with the uh, with the oil, um, you're looking for something in the order of four hundred to five hundred uh, thousand barrels of, of oil. Is that the Roughly yeah, good. absolutely, and
0: that's, that's from that's from the development wells that that we've kind of modelled. So, taking as I said, you know, we've got a lot of data on both of these plays because of the wells we've already got drilled. Um, and it wasn't us that did the modelling. This was done by the independent auditor, Netherland and Sewell, who put the, the 2C resource numbers out for us, the 1.6 TCF and the 36 million barrels of oil. And their modelling on what they believe a development well can achieve is the numbers we are quoting. So it's, these aren't our internal numbers. These are independently audited. Yeah, numbers. I think that's
1: 384,000 barrels, uh, ultimate yeah. cover Yeah, so that's uh, yeah based on the on the type of reservoir that they're seeing there and and the well spacings you'd need and so forth. So what's the, you're in the process of uh, finalising your capital raising and uh, what's the the process here going forward in terms of getting on the ground?
0: Well, um, you know, we're we're, we're finalising the rights issue and that that all gets uh, put to bed in the next week or so. Um, We've completed the deal, Uh, we're lining up the first OPCOM meeting for probably the back end of next week or the beginning of the week after. At that point we're going to approve the final work program and budget for the CISNI 2 re-entry frack and well test. And following that, it's a case of mobilizing the services and and getting boots on the ground. Um, We we envisage being on the well site before the end of October um we should be pumping the frack late october early november uh, the pump of the frack is you know a couple of day operation um and then we've got a bit of flow back and then we've probably got a, a four to five week well test so we should have some results before
1: christmas and uh, chris what are the access issues like in in that part of the world is it how you know in terms of landholder and stakeholder uh, engagement
0: it's it's absolutely fine i mean we, you know one of the good things about having gemini as our partner is they've done all this before they they drilled the cisney Two well um so they understand that side of things in terms of permitting and landholders and stakeholders environmental permits um we have all the permits we need now to do the cisney 2 operation um, we just need approval of the final plan from um the uh, the, the environment ministry which you know, comes through without any problems. Um, We've visited the well location. It's all flat lying arable land. Um, they're still paying the rentals on the well pad. In fact, when you go to the wellhead, uh, you know, there's still concrete slabs there. Uh, so it should be pretty straightforward to, to reconstitute the, the well site. So we're not expecting any access issues whatsoever. And the uh, fiscal terms in Poland, how do they look? Yeah, I mean they're pretty benign. Um, you know, there's a there's a bit of a royalty, um, you know, which is pretty minimal. There's a there's a, a, a per MCF or per barrel um, tariff or tax, and then there's corporation tax. So they're 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 pretty benign. I mean, in, on a on a on a global sort of comparative, they're very attractive. Um, and I think that's that's a lot to do with kind of the macro picture. Uh, When you look at where Poland is and you look at how much of their, their, not just their natural gas, but also their oil that come from Russia and their desire to gain some form of independence from energy supply from the former Soviet Union and and Russia, you can understand why they make it quite attractive for people to come and try and develop um, oil and natural gas resources. Yes, I was
1: seeing that there's a sort of, it's a sliding scale, uh, 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 1.5% on gas and 3% on oil, and then there's a per barrel, 39 cents a barrel or 19 cents a MCF or a gigajoule, if you like, for gas. Yeah, so yeah. it's a fairly uh, reasonable sort of uh, royalty rate there compared with some jurisdictions, yeah.
0: Yeah, very benign. And corporation tax is the same as the UK, so it's 19%. So there's not a massive take on, on, on corporation tax when you start you know, producing these things and run them at profit. So you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good fiscal regime to be in. And you're quite close to uh, pipeline uh, transport for, uh, for product. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you look at the, um, the map of the Gora license and, and all around our license are, are discovered gas fields, conventional discovered gas fields. And some of them have produced and been abandoned. Some of them are waiting to be redeveloped. Um, but what that means is, you know, you've got a lot of infrastructure. I mean, we have a pipeline going through the block. Uh, the Sisney two wells less than a kilometre from the nearest pipeline. So there's there's infrastructure there that makes it very easy for us to tap into and, and get the hydrocarbons to a sales point.
1: And speaking of conventional hydrocarbons, uh, you've also got some targets there for, I think, a uh, 210 BCF uh, gas target, which is adjacent to existing producing fields and you're saying uh, the cost of testing that uh, drilling that would be about 1.3 million dollars which is pretty uh, cheap uh, drilling how, how deep
0: is that sort of target yeah it's 1500 meters depth it's quite shallow um it's it's uh, it, it's it's a long trend with a lot of the discovered gas fields that surround the block um one of one of our favorite prospects is called Ravich north Um, It won't surprise you to hear that's north of a field called (laughs) Ravitch.
1: Geologists are so
0: imaginative with their names. Uh, I I know, I know. Where did we come up with the name? Um, But the Ravitch field, you know, is uh, a multi-hundred BCF field, you know, um, the last well that was drilled in it, uh, flowed about 3.6 million standard cubic feet a day from the reservoir we're targeting in our block. Um, You know, the Ravitch North structure is covered by 3D data. Uh, our plan is to, to reprocess and reinterpret that 3D data, um, you know, make sure we select the optimum well location to drill a well to, to target the structure and, and hopefully drill that sometime next year. And as you say, I mean, very cheap wells, um, nice and shallow, um, easy environment to get into. And being as we would already have paid our earning by that time, our share of that's only 35%. Um so you know we're fully funded to uh, to get into Cisney, get into Yarni and drill Ravage North um in the next twelve months. So
1: Chris, just for the avoidance of doubt, once you've spent this uh six point one five million dollars, then it will be heads up with your partner on anything else that happens.
0: That's absolutely right. Yeah, we're all heads up. So we're thirty-five percent of everything coming down the track after we've done these 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 re-entries into Cisney and Yarni. So, which is good news in terms of drilling out the uh, the conventional
1: and and also access to equipment like drilling and skills and so forth is that going to be an issue in Poland?
0: No, not at all, not at all. Um, I mean, Poland has a very rich um, history of um, oil and gas industry operations. I think um, in the early part of the twentieth century, they were the third largest producer of oil in the world. They lay claim to having the uh, the second. Um, oldest refinery, commercial refinery in the world, after the one that was initially built in Baku in Azerbaijan. So, you know, very proud history of oil and gas in Poland. Um, and given that we're in a, a productive oil and gas region, still a lot of active services there. Um, we were in the, we went to do a site visit about two months ago. Uh, we went to visit one of the main service companies, a local Polish company, um, who are a short drive from the well site. We inspected their workover rigs, had a look at their wireline trucks. They've got all the kit that you would need. Uh, you know, you're also close to construction and fabrication services. So getting in and, and actually moving these um, assets forward is is really doable in Poland. There's a there's a there's a really rich service. Industry.
1: Yes, I must say I've visited uh, oil and gas drilling operations in various parts of the world in North America, um, in Indonesia, in of course different places in Australia, and even in um, places like Turkey and uh, and Syria. I was in uh, Syria before the, the war broke out and inevitably you'll find a Polish drilling engineer on the rig or something. And they seem to be uh, a, a very capable um, people when it comes to that type of activity.
0: Very, very much so, very much so. And, and, you know, there's just been decades and decades of oil and gas um, activity in Poland. And so there is a, a real rich seam of talent there. And I, I agree with you. I mean, when I was um, living in Ukraine for a year um, you know, working on bringing a gas well into production. You know, my, my, my drilling managers on rotation were two Polish guys, you know, and they were fabulous, absolutely fantastic. So, you know, I totally agree with you. They pop up everywhere and they're really good hands.
1: Well, Chris, uh, from the Stockhead Wildcatter point of view, we're very pleased to have you uh, come on and tell us about this. We'll be watching very closely as you uh, close up your uh, your capital raising and you move onto site in the next couple of months and hopefully uh, you'll have a nice Christmas present for, uh, for shareholders as, uh,
0: as the year wraps up. Yeah, well well put, Peter. Well put, yeah. And look, thank you so much for having me. Much appreciate the opportunity to come and uh, come and talk to you and tell you about it.
1: Great, Chris. Well, we'll look forward to, uh, to getting you back on in three or four months when you've got a little bit more to say and, and we'll be able to peruse the results of the, of the first program. So thanks again, Chris.
0: Great stuff. Look forward to talking to you again, Peter. Thank you.